Would you pray with me, please? Loving God, may we step into the wonder of your creation. May we step into the wonder of our lives. May you shed new light into this day that we may see some things more clearly. Just as we continue to wonder into the darkness together. This we pray in your holy name, in your many names. Amen. I often think it would be nice to hang out somewhere in the wings of this drama we just heard read. To hang out somehow suspended into the void, into the darkness, and watch as it unfolds. Now, it might mean hanging out for seven days, or it might actually mean hanging out for millions of years, thousands of years, patiently watching this unfolding, the blooming of the galaxy, and to realize that it's only a small part of what is now the known universe. There are some who are very detail-oriented among us who might take the first chapter of Genesis with us and watch very closely to see how accurately it lines up to see if it actually went in the order in which it's described in Scripture, of first the light breaking forth, and then the separation of the land and the waters, of the lights in the skies, the big one and the small ones, of the creatures of the sea and the creatures of the land, and finally, human beings, and then a day of rest. Or if it'd be more like the second story in Genesis in which all those things are created ahead of time, and then God walks in the garden and blows life into the dust and creates the first human being. The point of this, as, our, as we know, as our ancestors of faith were trying, as we still are trying, to figure it out. None of us were there at the beginnings. None of us can say for certain, but we've been trying to figure it out, and I imagine as they lay on their backs and looked at the night sky, they wondered how all of this could have come into being. When people stare into the Hubble telescope, they still wonder these same things. They are questions that we still try to live into. It is, I believe, a mistake to treat the first chapter of Genesis as a scientific treatise, at least in our 21st century way of thinking. It was never meant like that. It was meant as a theological narrative about how God works in the world, and it was told in a narrative format. And I believe what it means is God is always willing to bring new things into creation, and God is willing to create some sort of order out of chaos. And God is endlessly creative in our lives. We are still trying to describe and to discover what that means. And yet, it's amazing to me as I think about this creation of the universe, that we live in a world in which there are universes within universes. Our bodies and the complicated ways in which they work are their whole universe, complete with systems of checks and balances. And you only have to get a cold or a thyroid condition or an unwanted tumor to know how quickly it can get out of balance. Or, I think about the things we've created, like internal combustion engines, which are their own universe within a universe. 
or airplanes flying in the sky. If you ever look up and watch one going across and wondering if it's a shooting star, if you stop to think about all of the electricity, all of the plumbing, all of the lives on board, it is a universe within a universe. Surrounding us in this space are millions of microorganisms in the air and on the floor, all universes we don't think about. It may creep you out to think about them right now, but they are there with their own systems, their own checks and balances. And you and I continue to create universes, our homes, our towns, our cities, all with systems of checks and balances. I think sometimes we forget the wonder of the universe because we become so entrenched in what we can handle. Our lives become small and contained. Sometimes that's all we can manage. Our small plot of ground, our relatively small band of people, our small sphere of influence, and we work within them as best we can. And I think we lose touch of how amazing the wonder of creation is. We find it again occasionally if you ever go on a camping trip and you somehow get into the flow and the rhythm of nature, as well as the challenges of living outside, you start to get in touch with it again. Or when you go to an amazing place like the Grand Canyon or even the beach, and you look out at the vastness and let, the, let yourself sit there long enough to wonder at it all and how it keeps on moving and turning with a power and a force far beyond us, then sometimes we start to get in touch with it again. Or if you've ever planted your own garden and you think about the miracle of a tiny little seed with all the information it needs to deepen and grow into a leafy plant and then to produce a flower for you to enjoy and smell or a fruit for you to chop up and eat and sustain you, you start to get in touch with the wonder of this creative force that God set in motion. The thing I think we forget is that this earth does not belong to us. It is only ours to take care of. Thousands of people have taken care, millions of people have taken care of it for us to get to this point, to enjoy all that we enjoy in the world. And if we're lucky, there are going to be millions after us but that hangs in the question mark right now. In fact, you can argue that over the past century, we've done more to mess up the planet than any other time in human history. We have done more to get things out of whack and out of balance. And so following the work of our Green Up team, our environmental group here, we are gonna spend some of Lent deepening into those questions about where we are in the big picture just of the planet Earth, not even of the entire solar system, but just within the big picture of the planet Earth and what we can do in small ways and big ways to step into our faith. We're going to try to step back and take a God's eye view, a Genesis chapter 1 kind of view of what is going on. Now, if you read the news, if you check out the Internet, you know that the news is not good. In only seven generations, humans have burned about half of all the known carbon reserve that nature took 150 million years to create. And because of this, we've melted 40% of the summer sea ice in the Arctic. 40% of the seas are polluted with plastic. 
We've made the ocean 30% more acidic. There are predictions that much of our coastlines will be flooded within a few generations. This year, this past year, 2014, is, has been the warmest year on record. The pace of global warming is 10 times faster than any time over the past 65 million years. We've increased the rate of species extinction by a thousand folds. Every hour of every day, nearly 2,000 acres of productive dry land become desert. And the increased toxicity in our soil, our water, our plants, our livestock, and our own bodies is contributing to the increased rates of disease going on around the world. Scientists now predict that within 200 years, we may bring about our own apocalypse. And the question then is left to us as these gardeners of the earth, what are we to do? How are we to respond? How are we to even think about this? It seems so overwhelming, this vastness of the world, in light of my small sphere of influence. In this book, which we're going to be studying, Love God, Heal Earth, are many good essays. One of them is by the founder of an environmental group that is multi-faith called Green Faith. His name is Fletcher Harper. And in all of his studies and his contemplation about what it means to be a person of faith and to interact with God's creation, there are three things he says he believes. And the first thing he says is that most people have their most powerful experiences of God, not in church, but out in creation, out in nature, in the wonder of the world. Sometimes the biggest prayer that you can have is, wow. There's a wonderful film called Renewal that shows a group of children who go on a hike blindfolded. They are led very capably up a mountain and up to a beautiful scene. And when they take off the blindfolds, they say, what's the first word that comes to mind? And the word is, wow, which is the basis for many of our psalms. It is important that we get in touch with that again. That is the spiritual element, Fletcher Harper says. And I just will tell you this week on Facebook, a friend of mine posted a beautiful scene of the snow somewhere out in the western part of the state. It was a beautiful, beautiful scene. And she said, I quote, in the city, it sucks. In the woods, it's fantastic. <laughs> One of the writers in this book is a Methodist minister who served for a few years in Nigeria in a small village called Bambur, where they had no phone, no electricity, no water. Outside their mud hut was a mango tree, and in season they could eat the delicious mangoes, but out of season they did without them. When they decided to travel, they could only do it during the dry season because there were no bridges over the riverways. It was only when they dried up that their Land Rover could go across them. And so they planned all their big trips to the city around the dry season for when they could stock up on supplies things they needed to plan for all year long. Pat Watkins, this Methodist minister, said he got in touch with the Earth's rhythms in a way that in his superpower United States life, he never really had to anymore. As he puts it, the Earth dictated to us rather than vice versa. For the first time in our memory, rather than living in such a way that we could at least isolate ourselves from the Earth, if not actually manipulate its forces, we had to live in harmony with it. 
we discovered that not only was it possible to live connected to the cycles of the earth, there was something really good, even sacred, about doing it. So getting more in touch with the earth and its rhythms is often the best way that we can experience God's power in creation around us. The second thing Fletcher Harper says he believes is that capitalism, that economic system that we are all a part of, as it is currently practiced, tends in an addictive direction and shapes individuals to believe that consumption is life's purpose. I reflect back to the way my parents grew up as they were born in the 1930s, remembering before they had electrification or plumbing in their house, all of the agriculture was organic because that they didn't have the pesticides and herbicides that we now have today for mass production. They lived simply, if something broke, they repaired it. They didn't go out and buy something new all the time. They made do with what they had, mainly because they couldn't afford to and everyone around them couldn't afford to. We are seeing now around the world, as other cultures and other nations are able to have a sort of standard of living, which we in this country have enjoyed for some time, there are more standards for these sorts of creature comforts, televisions, appliances, washers and dryers, all things that we take for granted but have a strain on creation. The more that the quality of life, the sad fact is, the more the quality of life raises for all of us, the more strain there is on creation. And this is a modern reality with which we need to grasp and grasp responsibly and become more responsible consumers of the world around us. So first, getting in touch with God's creation. Second, capitalism is something that tends us, puts us toward more consumption. And finally, the third thing that Fletcher Harper believes, and this is the justice aspect of it, oppressed communities around the world suffer disproportionately from environmental degradation. Their health is threatened, their access to power over their own environment denied. In one of the accounts, a woman named Anna Baptista grew up in the Ironbound neighborhood outside Newark. And it wasn't until she went on field trips with other school kids to the suburbs that she was amazed to see how pristine and green and beautiful they were. Unlike the dumps that she lived near, the foul odors, the lack of access to good food, which she had in her own neighborhood. It struck in her a sense of injustice that caused her to go get a PhD in ecology and to become an activist. You look in the slums around the world and you'll see people who put up with conditions that are environmentally threatening. They are face to face and live within the toxicity which many of us in the industrialized world create. So these are the three areas which Fletcher Harper says we need to think about and frame in order to think about God's creation and our relationship to it. First, to get in touch with the wonder of God and our own spirituality and God's creation. Second, our stewardship of how we become responsible consumers of all that the earth provides. And three, justice. That we realize that our quality of life, our way of life, threatens other people and puts them in situations that are environmentally toxic. The good news, I believe, is that same creativity which God gave us in the formation of that world, that same ability to create new worlds and new ideas, to flex our moral imaginations, to create things like engines and towns and cities and laws and systems that work, 
that same creativity and same ingenuity can give us a way forward to heal the earth. Some of it will be in individual ways, what we do in our own homes, in our own community and church buildings, in our own cities and towns. But some of it will mean advocacy work, oppressing our governments and corporations to be more responsible, to figure out the levers of power so that we can move them in a way that sustains and heals the earth rather than ravaging it and raping it. You and I are entrusted with this moral responsibility, this faithful response to the environmental crisis, and together we will walk into this with this focus over these 40 days of Lent. I encourage you to think about all the ways that we're offering for you to participate that are listed in the order of worship, to find the ways that you want to plug in, but also in your own Lenten devotion, in your own Lenten dedication, think about how you can start getting in touch with God's creation, how you can renew and develop your relationship with it. Think about your stewardship of all that has been given to you, to me, all the gifts of creation which we enjoy, all the products we enjoy, and how can we be responsible in our usage of them. And third, may we tune our eyes and ears toward justice, how the least among us suffer in our abuse of creation. I'm grateful to be on this journey. I'm grateful to our Green Up team for leading us on this. I believe there is a light of day that will enlighten us in this process. If we are willing to step into it faithfully, to pull back and look at the earth with God's eyes and all the love that God has for, for this creation and for us. Amen. Thank you.